0: I'm Linus. Welcome to Kids Talk Church History, a -a one-of-a-kind podcast where kids investigate the history of the church. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Has he kept his promise? How has Jesus built and preserved his church against all odds? Come with us on a trip through history to find the answer, here on Kids Talk Church History. It was
1: the year 177, and a group of Christians were taken to the amphitheater in Lyons, Gaul, to be killed by wild animals. It was a trying time for all, but those who were killed last had the additional torment of having to watch their friends tossed around and devoured. Some had been tortured and were losing strength. All they had to do to avoid this terrible suffering and death was to give up their Christian faith. At that time of great temptation, a young woman who had been tortured more cruelly than others found the strength to inspire her friends in a way her enemies could have never predicted. Her name was Blandina. Welcome to the second episode of Kids Talk Church History. My name is Lucy. I'm 16, and I live in
2: San Diego, California. My name is Lucas. I'm 14, and I live in San Diego, California. My
0: name is Trindy, and I am 15 and live in Charleston, South Carolina.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about Blandina and her friends in the Roman arena, how they managed to stay strong under such terrible persecution, and what exactly this meant for the church that followed them. We'll also talk about persecution in general and how Christ kept his promise of preserving his church even through all this persecution. Lucas, can you tell us a little bit about Blandina to start off?
2: Sure. Uh, I've read that she was a young enslaved woman and at that time, slavery was considered normal all around the world. There were many slaves back then. She was a Christian, and she almost certainly had a small frame because when, uh, I believe, the Romans started to torture her, uh, I think her mistress thought she would never survive because of her small, very small frame. She did last very long, though. In fact, uh, those who were torturing her Uh, didn't know what else to do to her. And so they just stopped torturing her.
0: She also lived in or around Lyons in today's France. At the time, the whole region was called Gaul. The city is still there in the south of France, and we can still see the arena where she was taken, or what's left of it, rather.
2: I've also read that it was the first persecution that we know of uh, where a large number of Christians were killed altogether. Before then, it was usually one at a time or a few at a time, but this was not the last time. And, uh, Lucas,
1: why were they persecuting the Christians?
2: Well, that's an interesting question, because the Romans didn't normally persecute people who followed religions other than their own. In fact, they liked Uh, many ancient religions, like the worship of the Egyptian gods. They even put up with the Jews because their religion was so old. But the Christian religion sounded too new and too strange. When the Christians talked about the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Christ, the Romans thought that they were cannibals for doing that.
1: So in persecuting them, they would just end up killing them?
2: Not exactly. Exactly. First of all, they would mistreat them and make fun of them, and then uh, I think they would torture them also. But the government killed those who refused to say the emperor was a god, or those who refused to sacrifice to the Roman gods. They were thinking about unity and loyalty to the emperor. In fact, they gave a certificate to anyone who sacrificed to their gods. If Christians could get that certificate, they would be fine.
1: But many Christians didn't do that. And is this the kind of situation that happened in Lyons?
2: No. In Lyons, it was the people, the common people who attacked the Christians. Uh, The people were having lots of problems, like foreign tribes invading their lands and taking their money and food. And there was a pestilence. They thought the gods were angry. When they wondered why, they thought of the Christians who refused to worship their gods. That must have angered their gods, they thought. They started by mistreating the Christians, keeping them away from public places, and beating them from time to time. One day, they all got together, grabbed the Christians, and took them to the authorities. The authorities put the Christians in prison, waiting for the governor. In fact, their bishop died in the prison only after two days of being there because he was so old and frail.
0: The governor condemned the Christians. He had many of them tortured to see if they would give up their faith. Also, the government wanted information so that they can justify their sentence. They used torture to see if someone would say that Christians were evil or immoral. They even threatened to torture some slaves who are not Christian. To escape torture, these slaves told the lies the authorities wanted to hear.
1: Now, this is a lot of history. Where did you get all of this information?
0: Well, some of this I know by reading the books by the Car, but originally must Much of this was told in the letter the church in Lyons sent to some churches further east. And what about uh, Blandina? We haven't really talked much about her yet. Well, she really was the hero of the story. Most of the letter talks about her. She was about 13, like my younger brother. Now, I've read that she
1: went through uh, quite a lot of terrible torture, so bad that even just one of those would be enough to kill a person. I don't know if I could do that. You think you could? No, I personally
0: don't think I could. Uh,
2: she probably didn't think she could do it either. But it's like one verse in the Bible. Uh, My strength is made perfect in weakness.
0: I guess if you see someone who seems weak going through terrible persecution and still come out, comes out strong, it's more encouraging than seeing a strong person doing the same thing. It shows it's God's strength.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, there's hope for all of us. God can give us the strength that we need when we need it.
2: At one point, they hung Blandina up to a pole in the middle of an arena for the animals to eat her, but the animals refused to. The people on the stands were used to this. For them, it was entertainment to see the vicious killings of anybody. But for the Christians, seeing her up on the wooden pole, it was a reminder of Christ on the cross. It gave them even more strength, thinking how Christ had suffered for them.
1: All right, so this would normally be the time where we would read the questions we've received, but since we're pre-recording this episode, we don't have any mail yet, but you could be the first to write. Our next episode will be about the fascinating story of George the Illuminator, who played a major role in turning Armenia into the first Christian nation. We'll also learn about Nino, an enslaved woman who brought the gospel to the rulers of Georgia, the country in Europe, not the state in America, and we will learn about two young brothers, Frumentius and Adasius, who started out on a sea adventure with their uncle and ended up as servants of the kingdom of Axum, today's Ethiopia, where they preach the gospel. Once again, we have many questions. How did these people manage to convince rulers that Jesus is the only savior? How could a whole nation become Christian at once? You can send us your questions at questions at kidstalkchurchhistory.org. And remember, when you send us a question, you'll be entered to win a book about church history. But let's go back to the persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. We have here Dr. Richard Bishop, who studied at the University of Virginia and in Belgium, and now works as Registrar and Director of Institutional Research at Westminster Seminary, California, where he also teaches part-time. Dr. Richard has done so much research on the early church and has kindly accepted our invitation to our podcast to answer some of our questions. Thank you for coming, Dr. Bishop.
3: You're welcome. It's great to be here.
1: So first, I have a couple questions for you. We were talking about this in the first episode, but how exactly do you
3: define church history? Church history. I think we could define it like family history. We're a family of Christians. We're all brothers and sisters and our family extends back in time. So church history is the story of what happened to our family before we got here.
1: Yeah, that's a little bit of what we were talking about as well. It is like our family, like going back and looking at our family history, and that's one of the reasons why we decided to study it. Why would you not want to learn more about other people who came before you? But what made you decide to be a researcher of the early church?
3: Hmm. That's a great question. I think I find the ancient Christians fascinating because that was a time when Christianity was new and everything was changing uh, rapidly. So you can read early Christians and find them trying out all sorts of interesting ideas and thoughts. And I wanted to learn more about that time of change and uh, Flux, yeah. So how did you go
1: about like studying church history? Because now we've got we've got so many books that have been written about it, but how do you actually study it?
3: That's another good question. I think the best way to study it is to read the ancient Christians themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think you've been talking about blandina today. Yeah. You can read an account of her by the church historian Eusebius and and her friends. And so that's a good way to start. It can also be helpful to read what other people have written about the ancient church, Uh, but I think it's good not to ignore what they said for themselves.
1: Yeah. What would you say is the best way for people our age like teenagers to learn about church history? Kind of the same thing.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do you can do that. It's good to have a a little bit of a guide for reading the ancient sources. So the blog and the writings of Simonetta Carr are a good guide. You can start with those. Maybe you can read you could read for example what Simonetta wrote about Blandina and her friends and then read what Eusebius wrote about it that would be a good way
1: yeah so back to Blandina which we were talking about in this podcast Uh, all the persecution happening to Christians around her why was all of it happening in the first place
3: yeah that's an interesting question and you would think there would be a really easy answer to it but actually it's been scholars have been debating it for a very long time So there's no really easy answer, but I think some of the answers, there's probably more than one answer, are are these. First of all, Christianity was very new, Mm -hmm. so the Romans didn't know a whole lot about it, didn't necessarily understand it. So they could think uh, bad things about Christians without knowing about it. So that's one reason. Another reason was that Christianity was very missionary. So it wasn't just that Christians wanted to worship God in the way they thought they should. They also wanted everyone else to do that too. And they told them so. And part of worshiping the true God in the way they thought they should was also saying that the Roman gods are not true gods and you should stop worshiping them. That was something that other religions that the Romans might have been more tolerant of weren't necessarily doing. So if you have Romans, people who were born Romans and Christians were convincing them to stop worshiping the Roman gods, that could be troublesome. If you've ever read Acts 19, for example, it talks about a man named Demetrius who was a silversmith in Ephesus and he was worried that Paul and other Christians would convince everyone to stop worshiping Artemis, and then they would lose the way they made money because that's how they made money. They made little uh, shrines or little statues of Artemis. So that's an example of one problem that could happen.
1: Yeah. So it's it was kind of just like fear of the unknown, and also like them trying the Christians trying to, you know, change what they believe their whole life even though it wouldn't have been harmful to them it was still like just different
3: yeah it was it was different and the romans may well have thought that it would have been harmful yeah, that's to them true. for example they believed that their society and culture was protected and helped by the roman gods so if christians were teaching them teaching other romans not to worship the roman gods then the roman gods might get mad and punish Uh, the Roman society for failing to worship them. So they very well could have thought that Christianity was dangerous, even though from our perspective and from the perspective of the Christians at the time, it was not dangerous. And they went out of their way to make that argument, we're not dangerous. But it took a while to convince everyone.
1: So did this persecution of Christians, did it start like as soon as Christianity was introduced to Rome or did it like take some time to build up or has it like always been there?
3: Well, if you think about going from the time of Jesus and the apostles to the emperor Constantine, who finally made Christianity um, legally permitted, that's almost 300 years So that was a pretty long time, but it wasn't true that Christians were persecuted throughout that time in every place there were Christians. There were different factors that could contribute to persecution. One was the emperor who was the Roman emperor at the time and what was his attitude towards Christians. Another factor would be the local officials. What were their attitudes towards Christians? And then a third factor could be, the local people, not the Roman officials, but just the local Roman people, what did they think about Christians? For example, people like Demetrius the silversmith. So those things were not the same in all times and places during that long period of time. So persecution didn't happen everywhere at once. It was more sporadic and depending on particular circumstances. Yeah.
1: Now we were talking about earlier how the Romans weren't persecutors of every single religion that, that differed from theirs. So why were they persecuting mainly Christians when there were others who um, had other religions apart from the Romans like Egyptians?
3: I think it was part of the newness of Christianity and, and also their exclusivity the Egyptians wanted to worship their own gods, but that didn't necessarily mean they wanted to convince the Romans to stop, the other Romans to stop worshiping their gods, whereas Christians did want to do that. So I think it was probably a combination of things like the newness of Christianity and their, and their exclusive message to other Roman citizens.
1: Yeah. And also through all this time with all the, the torture and the persecution of Christians going on for, like you mentioned, those 300 years, but they still remained Christians. Like through all that time, Christianity was still there. So how did it manage to grow during these times of persecution?
3: Yeah, that's another good question. Like I said, wasn't persecuted everywhere and every place. And so it didn't always have that negative pressure. And then on the positive side, I think Christianity presented something to uh, Greek and Roman people that they found attractive, that you know, it was the message of Christianity that went out, that persuaded people over time in different places and different levels of society and so I think ultimately it was about the success of the Christian message.
1: So uh, Lucas and Trinity, did you have any questions that you wanted to ask Dr. Bishop?
2: Uh, yeah, I think I had one. So we were talking about the persecution, but I just wanted to know how, how much killing was there actually?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you can have high and low estimates of that. Um, You know, some historians have argued that there was a lot of killing. Some have argued that there was relatively little. Uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever know the definitive answer to that. it's also important to note that it wasn't always, um, the persecution wasn't always killing. That's what we maybe would predominantly think of when we think of persecution. But for example, in later episodes of persecution, um, one thing that Romans wanted to do was find the Christian books. So they were, for example, looking for Christian scriptures or people who had custody of the scriptures and trying to confiscate those. Now, if you resisted, then it could become violent, but it wasn't necessarily always violent. And unfortunately, it's hard to come up with hard and fast numbers of how exactly how many Christians there were in a particular time and place and how many Christians were killed. We can count up names um, that have been preserved to us, but that's probably not a really accurate figure. So it's hard to give a really good numerical answer to that question.
1: Um, what you were talking about earlier, how the Romans would confiscate like the the Christian books that kind of reminds me of what um, Trinity was talking about earlier. She said that the persecution of Blandina kind of like um, reminded her of the Holocaust kind of and the Nazis were doing like the same thing like confiscating the books they didn't like and just getting rid of them. So that was a good comparison.
3: Yeah, yeah, I think one difference uh, in that case would be, I think the persecution of Blandina and her friends was relatively yeah. localized. It was maybe just about that community, whereas the Nazi regime was uh, much more organized and, and definitely imposed by the government.
1: Yeah. So... I have one more uh, question for you about like when the Christians were being persecuted, they did they really uh, hide in the catacombs?
3: Oh yeah, that's an interesting one. I think um, we you often hear that about the catacombs that they're places for Christians to hide during persecution, and I won't say it never happened, but that's probably not the best way to look at the catacombs catacombs are really like underground cemeteries and they're predominantly around the city of rome although there are catacombs in other places too but they're mainly around the city of rome and they weren't exclusively christian so there were jews buried in catacombs and there were pagans buried in catacombs as well as christians so it was it was a burial custom that was not exclusive to Christians, although they did they did use it. And and I think especially around Rome, burial in the catacombs became a popular way for Christians to be buried.
1: Mm. So how did like the the story of Christians hiding there, how did that all come out?
3: Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I think that. It was kind of a romantic idea that people who rediscovered the catacombs in later times had about them. But as archeologists have investigated them more, it doesn't really seem like that's, that's not why they were built. They were built, built as a place to bury people when they died. One reason for that may be just because land was expensive around Rome. So it was a big important city so everyone wanted to live there or buy land there so it became expensive to bury people um on the you know just on the surface of the ground like you see in a cemetery so they started digging down and it was the geology of the area allowed them to do that one interesting thing about catacombs though is that a lot of the very earliest Christian art is preserved in catacombs. Mm-hmm. So, like paintings on the walls or uh, in big, bigger small chambers, they have lots of interesting paintings of early early Christian paintings.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's like an an interesting way that like God helped us preserve like Christian history through um, the burial grounds of the dead which you wouldn't expect
3: to find yeah that yeah it is interesting
1: all right um trinity did you have anything you wanted to ask dr bishop
0: yeah definitely um in the podcast today we mentioned a letter that was sent to other churches more eastern from france do you know where we can find these letters online if they are available
3: well that particular one is in a book by a person named Eusebius of Caesarea. And he wrote a book called The Church History. So if you were to search for Eusebius of Caesarea, you could find a lot about him. And he wrote, he's the one who, he was a historian in the ancient times, a church historian, and he collected a lot of documents. And so he's the one who who found that letter and he um, copied a lot of it into his book on church history. Unfortunately, the letter itself, we don't have the whole complete letter. We just have what Eusebius uh, copied into his book. So that's, that's the place you can read it, but that's, I think you would find it interesting to read that. I think it's in um, book five of his church history. Book five is like chapter five, but they call it book five. But yeah, that's where I would look for it. Okay,
0: thank you.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Bishop. Thank you for uh, answering our questions about persecution and um, all this kind of stuff.
3: You're very welcome. It was nice to be here with all of you. Great job on the podcast. Thank you.
1: All right, it's now time to say goodbye. Make sure to visit our website, KidstalkChurchHistory.org. That's where you'll find all of our podcasts, special offers, news, and more. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, you can give us a, a good rating and don't forget to tell your friends and family where they can find us. Now in partnership with the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and on behalf of my co-hosts, Trinity and Lucas, my name is Lucy and thank you for listening to Kids Talk Church History.